Hey, Rumcast listeners. We're proud to let you know that today's episode of the Rumcast is brought to you by Holmes Key Single Cask Rum. Holmes Key was created with one simple premise, to seek out the world's best rums and release them unadulterated and at cask strength. Look for their Barbados 2005 bottling mentioned back in episode 2 of the Rumcast, as well as the newly released Fiji 2004 and Guyana Port Morant 2005 bottlings online or at premium rum retail outlets across the United States. Or just go to their website at homeskey.com to find out more. Now on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Rumcast. I'm Will Hookinga, and on the other line with me here, all the way from Miami, Florida, I've got John Gullah. John, how's it going? Hey Will, it's a good day here, Memorial Day for us. We had a little bit of it's rain. It's Memorial Day. Yeah, um, but it's been a great day, and I'm very thankful. Um, my wife was uh, just made dinner, and so I'm, I've got a full belly uh, and a glass of rum in my hand, and I couldn't be happier. How about you? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, things are great here. I um. I, it's it's funny that that you just mentioned your your wife making you dinner, which is very nice of her. Um, that's great. I <laughs> my wife also recently did something very nice for me that halfway through seemed like maybe it wasn't going to be so nice. Uh, as you know, during these times of quarantine, there are certain things we've had to go without. One of those yeah. for me is haircuts, which historically. I've had a lot of different hairstyles throughout my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this about me, but back when I was 18, 19 years old, I had hair that was past my shoulders. Oh, wow. Um, I've had a buzzed head. Like, I've, I've run the gamut of, of hair lengths and everything. So. Mullet? Did you did you do the mullet? I did, uh, actually, <laughs> because I went from having shoulder-length hair to buzzing that entirely. And so, you know... You have to stop by having a mullet on the way to finishing the job, right? So you just sh- shave the sides. You have, you have a mullet for a little while. You take some pictures and uh, everyone laughs. Gotcha. So. It was a transitional mullet. I get you. It was a transitional yeah. mullet. I only had it for about 30 minutes. So did you um, go back to that or how'd she do no, this time? <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't grown my hair out since then, but my hair had gotten pretty unwieldy and long here uh I, I think it had been like two and a half or three months since i'd had a haircut mm-hmm. i kind of reached my breaking point my wife had been trying to talk me into letting her cut my hair i was afraid of what might happen <laughs> um but i'm happy to say that after two separate sessions and three hours total and how much rum cutting my hair <laughs> there was there may have been a little rum involved it actually ended up not being too bad like it's yeah. it's it's presentable at least you know i don't look like a fool on zoom calls which is really you know the only place i need to be presentable now <laughs> but um it, there were some scary moments like halfway through i pretty much had a bowl cut for like a little <laughs> while and that was pretty scary for me because when i was a kid i had a bowl cut for way too long same yeah and yeah yeah so i was getting you know some childhood flashbacks but anyway <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm clean now i've got a haircut and i have my wife to thank for that yeah um thank you to samantha uh, she's probably not listening to this. this is a this turned into a thank you wives episode yeah <laughs> exactly my wife's probably not um, listening either but we're, we're very happy for you both uh thank you melissa and samantha yes yeah um so i know you were telling me before we hopped on i know you recently did uh a a tasting of some sort yes uh, tell me tell me about that so i had a fun time doing this um i put some of the the pictures up on our instagram and i don't know yeah. if uh, anybody saw those but i was trying At to do Rumcast. this uh, Yes, at the Rumcast Instagram. Uh, And I was trying to do this in a methodical way, not like, you know, 
I don't. I still want to make it fun, but make it so that I can really get some objective, uh, interesting things coming out of it from the tasting. So I did it all blind. Um, again, Melissa, my wife, helped me to do this. Um, she she poured uh, everything and and labeled them with A's and B's and such, so that I didn't know what was what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was just the four square gamut that I have. And it, I'll tell you this: I thought going in that I was like, oh yeah, I know which ones are my favorites. I know which ones I'm not gonna like. I, I mean, I love them all, but you know, you thought which, you knew. Oh god. But you had no I idea, think, right? Oh my god! <laughs> so I, I'll give myself. Wait, so a, which which, which yeah. all realms were involved? So this was uh, Foursquare, two thousand five, two thousand seven. Um, I had Premise, I had Zinfandel, uh, Sagacity. Okay. And I, I believe that was it. I may be missing one, but um, it, that was the 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 gamut. And if you know so anything, that's two that's two vintages then in the two thousand five and you right. said two thousand seven. Correct. Is that right? Yes. And then and then three that are uh, I, I almost said cask finishes. They're not cask finishes. Um, right. They're it's like a I, I don't I don't know what you call that. Secondary maturation. Secondary yeah. maturation. Basically, the 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 rum is aged in two types of casks, but right. I believe for the same amount of time. So it's not like we aged this in ex-bourbon. It's really not a secondary th- match. Right, right. Yeah, it, right. it's not like they just threw it in, you know, some yeah. cherry barrels for the last six months or right. anything like that. Right, But it, Anyway. And it, yeah, and if you know anything about those rums, you know that they're all aged fairly similarly within a range of anywhere from, I, I, again, I'm doing this by memory right now, but anywhere from it's something off like- the cuff. Off the cuff. 12 to 14 years-ish in terms of aging total for these. And they do yeah. all have similar profiles. They're all four square rums. As you mentioned, some have a little bit of influence from sherry. Some have a little bit of influence from some other things. But overall, they're they're fairly similar. Uh, Barbados. They've got that four square backbone. Exactly. Yeah. So, although I thought I knew, as you mentioned, uh, that I I thought I would know going in, I really didn't. It, this was a tough task. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider myself an expert at tasting it. Anyhow, I would say I'm getting much better with every passing day. Um, and things like this actually helped me to develop my palate, which is partly why I wanted to do it. And I thought it was cool. And I actually, I think that would be a cool future episode for us to go through. Would be figuring out how to do a blind tasting uh, and, yeah. and talking about that. We should um, have someone on who's like an expert in that. We should. That, we, yeah. we need to find somebody. Hey, if you're an expert yeah. on blind tasting. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, uh, if you're an expert or you know one, email us, host at rumcast.com. That's host at rumcast.com. Bam. Tell um, us what we're doing wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay so what what can you can you break down what your rankings did you just rank them like by preference what what did you do yeah so i did so i i tried to put them by preference uh and then also i tried to give them a total score um i know that that's something that is uh hotly debated as well and and frankly i'm not tied to the scoring system that i used it's more of okay. like a work in progress but um one thing i will say is all of them rated highly no surprise because um, mm-hmm. those are great rums and I love them all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was surprised to find uh, that there is at least a slight amount of variation um, between some of these that I really could pick a favorite. Okay. And the favorites that I picked were not what I thought I was going to pick. Really? Yeah. Um, so what would what would you have thought your favorites were going into it? So I, I thought the uh, 2007 uh, was going to be one of them. I really like that one. Mm-hmm. I recently picked up the 2005, if you remember. So that was a more yep. recent entry into the foray. Um, and then uh, I also really, really enjoyed the Sagacity release. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured those two would kind of start coming out on top. Um, oh, and the Dorleys. I did have the Dorleys 12-year. That was the sixth one. Okay. Um, so that's that one I predicted would be a, at the bottom just because it's it's not an exceptional cast series. And although it's a great rum, I think you can tell the difference. That one, I'm proud to tell you, at least I did get right. 
<laughs> so I'm on at least somewhat uh, worth my salt here in terms of palate. Um, okay. The others, however, were very difficult to distinguish. I only got two out of the five of them correct. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm proud of you for for being willing to uh, come on in front of you know all the people and admit that. Yeah. Well, shit. I mean, I don't I, think you should be ashamed of it. I'm not. I mean, it, again, these are all similar rums in yeah. a lot of ways, and I'm no way an expert at this. Um, but what I will say is the uh, 2005 came out on top, mm. and I was That's not good expecting one. that. It is. It is sublime. Yeah. When you put it against the other ones in the series, uh, I have to tell you, there's just something about that rum that feels special. Mm. Um, yeah. And again, 2005 was a good year. Man, it was a good year. Um, and uh, that one was really great. Now, in second place, and I'm not going to go through all of these, but I will tell you, second place was Premise. Which you did not see coming. I just totally did not see coming. I, yeah. I don't know if that has something to do with the ABV and mm-hmm. maybe um, my palate as I was going through these was able to take in a little bit more of the flavors from the lower ABV of premise mm-hmm. um, than some of the higher ABVs like the 2007 uh, and some of the others. So maybe that was a factor, but I will say the 2005 and, and premise were the winners uh, there and the others kind of fell into a pack behind them for me. Yeah, well, I you know I think we've discussed this before, but premise is is one of those rums that I came back to after trying it for the first time. It was just like, man, I, I really underappreciated this the first time I had it. This is a really really nice rum. So I'm not surprised that it that it uh kind of uh punched above what you thought its weight might be. Yeah, it was a really cool exercise. I'm hoping uh, we can do some more and and maybe uh, get you involved soon. Definitely, yeah, we we should definitely dive into that more. Um. With with that said, I am very excited to transition to our guest on this episode. We talked to Zan Kong, who is the export sales manager for Worthy Park out of Jamaica, uh, which I'm sure everyone at least has a, a, a cursory awareness of. Worthy Park, I think, is one of the standout distilleries out there right now that you think of when you talk about Jamaican rum. Right. And I was really interested to talk to Zan just because, he, you know, he's kind of on the front line of taking this really uh, powerful, delicious, you know, Jamaican rum and taking it out, you know, to the world stage and trying to, you know, get it introduced to new markets. Um, and, and I think Worthy Park is particularly fascinating because it its history goes all the way back to 1670. Um, like they have produced sugar continuously since 1720 i think even today they're still growing tons of sugar cane and producing sugar commercially rum was kind of produced intermittently you know all the way back to the 1700s you know through the 1800s early 1900s then it stopped for the 60s and didn't start again until 2005 i believe that's kind of where this current modern era of worthy park rum that you're used to seeing on store shelves began um, so, you know, that started with the rum bar brand, uh, but since then they branched out to their own Worthy Park brand as well. And, and, and we, we dug into, you know, all the differences between those brands and, and you know, what the differences are in, in selling each of those and the differences in production and all sorts of stuff with Zan. So uh, it, it was great. What, what's, what stood out to you about this interview? I'll tell you the one thing that stood out to me, Zan is a freaking awesome guy. And yeah, when, a good when, hang. Exactly. And when you talk to him, uh, I, I would imagine about anything. 
<laughs> that it, it's a good conversation. But when you talk to him about rum, I, I just I felt so at home uh, in in talking to him about all of the things we discussed, including like you mentioned some of the history of Worthy Park, but also the the present state of Worthy Park and what they're doing uh, now and what's coming next. Exactly. So I mean, they're just he's just a really genuine guy. Um, and that's an awesome thing. Infectious enthusiasm. A hundred percent agree. Every time we get to talk to him is a treat. So uh, we're hoping that everybody enjoys it as much as we did. Yeah. Well, let's say no more. Let's uh, let's go right into it. Here's here's Dan Kong. All right, so we are here with Zan Kong from Worthy Park. Uh, Zan, thank you for taking the time to join us. I know John and I are both super excited to you. Obviously, we're both uh, fans of what's been coming out of Worthy Park over the the last few years and excited to talk to you about it. How are you today? I'm wonderful. And uh, no, first of all, thank, thank you guys for having me on. Um, you know, any, any chance we get to... Yeah, to jump on these podcasts and these virtual events is, is such a pleasure for us, uh, you know, to get the word out. And, you know, we appreciate that we have we have we have you guys as fans. How, how many virtual events would you say you're you're averaging per day these days? I try not to do more than two per day because <laughs> it does it does get, you know, it does get kind of uh, a little it does get taxing in its own way. But, yeah, you know, I, I, I give it a hard time sometimes. But, you know, I'm really lucky and blessed that we can actually stay connected with the rum community and, and the spirits community uh, by way of these online events. So I'll, I'll take this, uh, this, this blessing and a curse as, as more of a blessing than anything else. That's a, a, a nice perspective. Nice way to look at it. Yeah. So to, to get things started, I'd, I'd love if you could kind of give us a snapshot of where you fit into the Worthy Park timeline. I know uh, obviously Worthy Park has a super long history. Um, rum production, kind of like the modern Worthy Park rum production started again in 2004, I believe. So when did you come on and, and what did the rum output look like at that time relative to, to how things are right now? Yeah, well, we uh, we broke ground in 2004, I guess, for, for our modern day uh, distilling history. Um, and we actually, the first rum we distilled in, in this new facility was in 2005. So, wow. you know, we're just really hitting 15, 15 years of, of being back in the distilling game. Uh, in the history of Worthy Park, my career there is, is literally just a blip on the radar. I mean, I've been there for five years, actually this week. Wow. End of May. End of May will be five years um, total uh, I've been there. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we can release this on your anniversary. We'll shoot for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> but, yeah, my 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 life span of our career-wise at Worthy Park is, is just a small, very sliver of uh, the history of the estate. But uh, it, my role or what I got brought on to do was to do all of the export. So we actually didn't have – we didn't have a, an export department. Uh, my my boss, who's now the managing director and CEO, uh, Gordon, he was, you know, he he's the one that was instrumental in, in getting Worthy Park back in, in distillation. Right. So he was handling, um, you know, over production, you know, local sales and marketing. And he did, you know, oversee all of the export. And, and when I started, it was mostly bulk rum that we were doing. Um, we did have a couple, couple export customers at the time, but my role was specifically to, to grow the distribution and, and bring Worthy Park and, and our brands, which was at the time just Rumbar to, to the world stage. So it's it's definitely been, you know, it's been a fun ride. We've always been strong in Jamaica since we launched, uh, but being able to kind of take us from, 
yeah, a brand that was was big in Jamaica to to having kind of our place on on the international rum stage has been quite a quite a fun journey so far. For sure. And and one of the things I wanted to to touch on was, you know, for those of us who haven't had the the pleasure of visiting Worthy Park yet, can you kind of situate it a, a little bit for us? I think most people hear, you know, Jamaican rum and they have a mental image of the place it comes from. But like, you know, most places, not all parts of Jamaica look or feel the same. I know that you guys are like 1200 feet above sea level. It's a unique environment. Can you give us a, a snapshot of what it's like out there? Definitely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Most people, when they hear Jamaica, they think we're just one big beach. (laughs) Oh, you're you're in Jamaica. You work for a rum company. You must be on the beach all day. I'm like, ah, no, actually, that's not (laughs) not how it is. I wish it was. But yeah, we're located. If you think of, you know, Jamaica is all, it's pretty, it's almost oblong, almost like a, like an oval shape uh, on on its side. Mm -hmm. And we're like right in, right in the center like right where the heart would be, the literal heart of Jamaica would be, is where Worthy Park is. So um, we're about an hour from the north coast and about an hour and a bit from the south coast. So we're almost dead center of the island. And like you said, we're, we're 1,200 feet above sea level. So we're in a valley surrounded by the mountains. So it's it's totally, it's lush, it's green. Yeah. It does, we do get, you know, the hot, humid weather, but we get a ton more rain and we actually get really cool nights. Mm. Um, to make it cool. So I guess in, <laughs> to, to make it in Fahrenheit, because we're Celsius down here, it would be like maybe 70, low 70, high 60s, and we're freezing, you know, in, in the morning time. And uh, I think all that just to say, yeah, we do have a very unique uh, microclimate at Worthy Park that does contribute to not only our aging, um, you know, the aging that we have, but, you know, if you can yeah. further, further earlier in the, in the life cycle of sugarcane or life cycle of rum, I should say, um, our sugarcane, we have a very unique growing climate for our sugarcane and mm-hmm. we do have some, you know, very fertile soil and it just, it's one of the things that has contributed us to be very, you know, successful in having the longevity that we've had at Worthy Park. Yeah. And, and shifting the focus to the rum itself, uh, as you're talking about, I know uh, Worthy Park, you, you produce a variety of different styles or marks of rum uh, and create those different products, like you mentioned, some of the rum bar and, and now the Worthy Park and some of the other independent bottlings that have happened. Um, can you give us an overview of the different marks that you're producing right now and which ones go into which products? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're uh, for those of you that don't know, you know, we only have a pot still at Worthy Park. We only have one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is it's just kind of unique um, for not only rum producers, but for Jamaican rum producers. But we have a pretty big one. It's uh, 18,000 liters. Um, so, my, sorry, my conversion, that would be what, like... <laughs> Four thousand, maybe five thousand. Yeah, don't don't apologize for your your conversions because I'm I'm always you know the the stupid American who who brings up Fahrenheit or something and has no idea how to convert it to Celsius. So you're already miles ahead of our our abilities. On <laughs> Absolutely this true. All I know is that your system is superior. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other podcast that will be great. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we only have one still. And, you know, I think the, the challenge that when you're typically talking about pot stills is that you're getting really a lot of esters and, and you know, the aromas and the, the chemical compounds that are in the rum. Yeah. And for us, you know, the advantage of, of having a, a newer distillery is we're able to automate it. So through that automation, through the efficiencies that we're able to build in, mm. you know, the, the variety of marks that we can produce at, at Worthy Park is, is pretty high. Um, I would say just for having one pot still. So we do, and we categorize our marks all based on the ester level that 
mm-hmm. you know, of the rum. So, you know, we go, um, you know, our light rum, so to speak, is, uh, which is our most common mark that we make, is anywhere from about 60 to 119 parts uh, per million. And then we go up to our, our high ester rum, um, and we're getting about, you know, eight to 900 parts. So it is quite a range. Now for the, for the scale of pot stills um, in Jamaica, yeah, it, it's, it's high, but there's some that do higher. Right. Um, but, you know, the beauty of what we do at Worthy Park is we're able to do relatively light pot still rums as well, mm-hmm. which just gives us a little more versatility in, in how we're doing our blends. Right. Um, which kind of leads to the, the second half of your question. You know, our, our, our unaged rums, so our rum bar, sil- our rum bar silver and our rum bar white overproof, are both blends of, of three of our different marks um, that we blended together to get you know, a specific profile. Whereas right now our age drums um, are all a single mark, but of different age, different ages. Yeah. And, and it, you mentioned like the, the amount of uh, variation you're able to create, even with just the one pot still, which is pretty cool. And as a rum enthusiast, um, I love having that additional information, like the ester counts you mentioned available to help me to determine more about uh, my own likings and, and above and beyond my own tasting and, and enjoying of a rum. But also knowing that information helps me to uh, be more informed. But I also think, on the other hand, it's somewhat unfortunate that some rum enthusiasts out there get so focused on the numbers that they just forget to experience the rum and let that guide them towards its overall quality. Um, can you weigh in a little bit on that and also in Worthy Park's decision to release both the, the high ester rums as well as the light rums you mentioned? And I, I think you hit, you know, that is 100% accurate in terms of the way we think about it as well. Um, there is just, especially in the last, I'd say, two to three years, almost an obsession with uh you know people wanting to drink or have the highest ester rum that they can yeah which is which is kind of cool in a way it's interesting yeah yeah you know it we make the rums and you know there's obviously we'll sell them and we hope people drink no matter what we're making but i think and i think you, you mentioned a little bit to judge a rum solely by the count of its esters is is a, is a very big disservice to, to the producers and everybody who's behind the brand as well, because it doesn't tell you a ester a number. It doesn't tell you whether you're going to like it or not. And it also doesn't right. tell what type of esters are in the rum, hmm. right? Because, you know, you have esters that like at Worthy Park, we're very heavy with banana. So there's a specific ester, which, you know, gives you that note. Um, our friends out at Hamden, they, you know, they get a very heavy pineapple uh, note and, mm-hmm. and there's a specific ester for that. But then there's esters that, you know, smell like vomit. So it's like, <laughs> you could have, yeah, you, know, you could have a ton of esters that smell like that, and it's like, no, you're you're obviously not going to like it. Who's producing uh, that? No, don't answer that. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, that's what we, we try to get out of the room when we're distilling it. But um, yeah, I think for us the decision when we built the our distillery, you know, we looked at how we could make rum in Jamaica, and you know, obviously a, a big part of that is the the looking at the, the use of dunder and muck pits. And, you know, for us, when we looked at it, you know, that's our friends out in Trelawney out in the West, like that's their, that's their thing. That's what they've done for hundreds of years and that's their bread and butter. So, um, you know, it's not like, why well, try to try to do what they're doing? Let's, let's make our own high ester, but to, to our style and the way we, we want to do it and, um, you know, come, come with something completely different. And, you know, for us releasing and aging what we call our light ester rum, is as much as just, you know, the type of rum and, and I don't want to say the drinkability, but, you know, the profile of rum that we thought would be best for, 
for aging and we thought that would be best for most most consumers and, and the palettes that are out there. Um, you know, most of our Hyester rum is used as a blend component mm-hmm. and it's, it's not used in very high uh, percentages either. So even though we have our Hyester rum in both our silver and our overproof, you know, I, I won't go into exactly the breakdown, but it's, it's a very, it's a small percentage compared to the other marks. And, you know, the reason that we did release I don't know if you saw with our partners in France, we released um, an age two-year-old WPE, which is our yep. our highest ester and the first time we've aged it. And we started aging it to give us some more blend flexibility. But, you know, we're just reacting to what the, the market demands are and what people are doing and what people are looking for, which is, you know, the reason why we released it at a cast strength, uh, two-year-old cast strength uh, WPE, which... You know, it was funny when I told the team here that we were doing it. They all kind of looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> They're like, wait, our high ester WPE cast strength? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. But, I mean, I, the shit sold out. And sorry, I, I just swore I don't know if I'm allowed to on this. but Oh, no, you know, you, you've got freedom. <laughs> Let them fly. Rum, you know, it sold out. The demand was high. The reaction was great. So, it, you know, we're, we're trying to appeal to that, you know, that t- section of the rum market that's looking for that. Mm-hmm. It's not you know thousands of cases a year, but you know we have the ROM, so we'll we'll do it if if people are going to buy it. Yeah, I think I recall seeing a, an interview with Richard Seal from like a couple years back. I think talking about uh so, you know some of those high ester releases, not necessarily from you guys, but just that are more widely available now, where people are taking um you know high ester marks that are traditionally used mostly for blending and bottling them on their own. And I think his line, I I don't want to misquote him, but I think it was something along the lines of your, your Jamaican, our Jamaican friends are laughing at you or something like that um, when they see you drinking that. Um, but I, I do think like there is something super interesting about get, being able to experience, you know, things that have been used mostly as blending components by themselves right. and learning about uh, the, the, the rum that from that perspective, you know, but I do, you know, going back to what John said, I do think sometimes people can like get a little too zeroed in on ester counts and numbers and equate those with quality. And also, you know, you mentioned things like Worthy Park's, you know, light uh, mark. And I think some people hear that and they're like, oh, that must be like very, you know, almost like neutral in character. And like, that's that's not the case. Like it still yeah. has a lot of flavor and a lot of character uh, and everything. So uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to discuss that. And yeah, to re- re- I laughed when I saw Richard's comment. And I think you, you pretty much quoted it verbatim, but uh I don't think it's so much that we're laughing at them, but it's like we're all, and especially from the you know the distillery side and the production side, everyone's like, "What? Like this is what people are wanting?" <laughs> it's like so we it's, didn't expect this. Yeah, it's almost like a a, a laugh of disbelief. Mm, um, yeah, and and yes, you're right. Um, you know, when we what we categorize as a light rum, um, if you're you know the 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 number of esters that's in our light rum is is still far heavier than than any of the multi-column so rums out there. So. It's light when you compare it to the range of pot still, but it's not. Right, right. It's not. It's not light relative to the context. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's like it's like peppers, right? Like hot peppers. Exactly. People, yeah. You know those. You know those those spicy chip contests where where they it's like two chips in the bag and people are trying to eat the two chips without you know without sending themselves to the hospital. Right. Like it's it's kind of like that, right? It's like you're not buying that to eat a bag and watch Netflix. You're buying it to almost 
just for that experience of, of seeing how hot you can handle. I, I have an idea for an extremely niche uh, YouTube series. Uh, it's the same the it. same format as Hot Ones, which is the hot wing, you know, show where they celebrities eat increasingly hotter hot wings. Yeah. But this would be increasingly funky rums instead. I, I think it's I feel like you floated that already based on the reaction you got. But, um, dude, I think that would do. I mean, how? It's worth a shot. You know? <laughs> I'd, be ha- I'd be happy to to to, to tune into this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think the rum community would accept it with open arms. Um, oh, they'd be lining up to be on your podcast. <laughs> So, uh, you know, earlier on, you you mentioned that when when Worthy Park first started back up, y'all were really heavily focused on, you know, uh, producing bulk rum. Uh, And I'm curious to know kind of how, as you have increasingly released, you know, your own brands, first with Rum Bar and now with the the Worthy Park brand as well. How do you balance building that those brands with selling rum to bulk suppliers or independent bottlers? Uh, Has has the distillers approach to that changed at all as you've invested more into building those brands? Or do you do you just kind of look at it the same as you always have? I mean, I feel like any distillery, any distillery you talk to, um, especially from the Caribbean, you know, the bulk rum, bulk rum is how majority of us started, if we Mm -hmm. talk about the history of it. Um, So it's relatively new that distilleries were getting into having their own brands. I mean, obviously you talk about, you know, Appleton and Ray and Effie who've been doing it for centuries, but Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, and especially in Jamaica, but, you know, all of all the distilleries are more, they're very few distillery brands because we were making rum as we were with sugar as a, as a commodity. Yeah. So we were selling it bulk. We were exporting it somewhere to brokers, to traders, to blenders, but modern day now, yes, I, I definitely think it's all of us are taking a different approach where we're trying to keep the value add and it on the Island. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we started for the first two years before we launched uh, rum bar wide overproof, we only sold bulk rum because we didn't have our own brand. So we sold bulk rum, and we were we were aging, uh, knowing that the future was going to be a lot heavily skewed into into age rum. So I think that all that to say, yes, it, it's definitely changed over the past few years. It is hard to manage now, especially especially in in for in the U.S. market. Just to take that example, where you know we'll be presenting our brands out, and like, oh yeah, we're the park, you know, we have some new rum already. Yeah. You know, it's like yes, you do, but you know, this is our brand, so we need you to buy this. We want you to buy this. <laughs> right. Uh, so it, it is it is weird in a way because you find yourself competing against your own rums mm-hmm. and you know i had the case in in europe when we launched in 2006 where you know somebody had released uh, a 2006 the same year as us but that one was aged not it wasn't all tropical aged mm-hmm. so it was aged partly in, in europe partly in jamaica partly in europe so the price of it was actually cheaper than ours which was you know and then you have to you have to overcome that yeah so it's like well why am i going to buy your worthy park when it's you know 25 30 percent more than than this one that's right here and Uh it's both 12 years both so uh, it does take a little more uh explanation for those that aren't you know really into realm or understand you know the nuances of the differences between it um so yeah it, it has shifted we we don't sell as much as our old rum stock now uh, where before we used to, you know, we used to sell all of our age rum. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've reduced the availability of what we sell, uh, selling bulk. And um, one of the one of the steps we took uh, a couple years ago, which seemed uh, 
pretty simple for us, but actually caused, you know, a little bit of, uh, we got a little pushback from some independent bottlers is, you know, we restricted the use of, of Worthy Park um, on their on their labeling. Like using uh, the name of the distillery yeah, on the label. Yeah, yeah and, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, Worthy Park is our estate name that goes back to 1670. Um, it's our sugar factory. It's our, our sugar, our farm. It's our distillery. It's also our, our registered trademark. So for us, there's a lot of equity that's tied up in the name Worthy Park. So yeah. you know, we wanted to make sure that it was used how we wanted to use it and and by brands like our own brands that that and not by anybody that bought bulk rum from us so it was a little it was a little different of an approach than a lot of other distilleries but at the same time you know we just thought for the long term as we're trying to build our brand and and build the company was it was the best business decision for us for sure and you know i think from from the consumer standpoint i i think it's really a, a win for the consumer that that we have now products on the market that are conceived from start to finish by the producers right, right. um because there's there's something about that that is inherently going to be different than an independent bottler's perspective on a product from a distillery and and the decisions that they make and in, in what they want to source and what they're able to source and um that's not to say that one is you know inherently better than the other but i think it's another perspective and as you said it's it's something that historically so many of these producers haven't had that that voice that representation that their own brands in the market so I, it's something that's really exciting you know for for me as a consumer when i when i look at what's available to be able to go out and get a bottle of worthy park and know that you know the the people who had a hand in producing this like conceived everything about it from start to finish is pretty cool yeah no, thank you and, and we're hoping that there's more, there's more people out there that that think the way you do and I think it, I think there is, and, and again, it's not to knock independent bottlers because yeah. they have done, you know, they've done a fantastic job in, in, in getting you know Worthy Park and liquid from Worthy Park to the world. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's just for consumers to understand what the difference is when you're buying, you know, a bottle from, like you said, from an independent bottler, or you're buying it directly from the distillery. You know, just to understand the nuances and the differences between right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the variety is great with that too. So. It's a win for the consumers all around. I agree. Exactly. We like to think so. One one thing that that you touched on a little bit earlier, you know, I know in your role as uh, export uh, in export sales, you're you're obviously focused on markets outside of Jamaica, and I'm always interested in in hearing what's or if there are differences in selling products. Uh, domestically where they're produced so like selling worthy park rum in jamaica versus selling it in other markets what are, are there do you see differences between how you sell the rums in in different markets around the world and if so what are they oh 100 percent. it's completely different i mean at the end of the day yes we're, we're selling rum mm-hmm. but the focus in jamaica jamaica is a white white rum country and when we refer to white rum in Jamaica, it's it's unaged, overproof, sixty-three mm-hmm. percent uh, or, or one twenty-six proof uh, rum is what dominates uh, the landscape in Jamaica. So if you look at the type of what's selling the most uh, here versus overseas, the demand overseas is definitely for the aged rum. Um, we're doing very we're doing very well with our with our unaged rum, but overall, what I feel like the export market is looking for is these older aged kind of uh, unique releases. I mean, that's what that's what the market I think is accustomed to, especially when you're looking at from the whiskey side and from the scotch side. Right. So it's just been carried over to what people are looking for in rum. So product wise, yeah, the, the focus is totally different in what we're 
in what sells here versus overseas. And then marketing wise, you know, in Jamaica there there's, you know, there's fewer brands. Um, so it's a, you know, the marketplace is dominated by a couple of brands and, you know, you see that everywhere you go where we don't have a lot of the branding and marketing in Jamaica is totally different than you would see overseas. So mm. when you're driving through, you know, the countryside of Jamaica, you, know, you see all these rum bars, uh, little rum shacks, rum bars, we call them here. And they're very, they're usually painted with a brand. Um, so, you know, you'll have, you'll drive by some by us and you'll just see, you know, rum bar bottles and rum bar logos all over the outside of these bars. Oh, interesting. Again, yeah, it's a different focus uh, and a way of advertising than, than you can get away with in, in over, overseas. And then I also think that where rum, rum is mostly consumed in these bars. So, yeah. you know, whereas in, in, you know, in Florida and overseas markets, you know, we push heavily in the cocktail scene. So you know, our main focus has been in the entree. So we're, we're going to the bars, we're going to bartenders, uh, to mixologists, to bar managers, to, to try to get, um, push our products through that avenue um, because that's kind of what spurs, what spurs the, uh, the business and the, in getting into the retail. Store. Yeah. But in Jamaica, while we focus on a lot of the bars, it's a complete different culture of drinking here. You know, you'll go to a one of these rum bars, and you know you're not ordering daiquiris or mai tais or pina right. colada. You're typically ordering a, a, a flask of rum, a 200 ml flask, and you know your chaser, or, and and the bartender will bring you your glasses, your bottle of rum, and and your your chasers, and you kind of make your own drinks. So it is a much different consumption style down here as well. So our our, our marketing approach is completely different. Where we're geared towards more of the parties and, and promotions as well, because there's a lot of what we call in Jamaica all-inclusive parties. So you'll go to these parties or these events, and you know you'll pay one price to get in, and and it's you know you, all your drinks and food are included. Um, so it's yeah. just you know, those are are some events that we typically uh, sponsor as well. And then there's a lot of events where you you have. You know, flask or chaser deals where you know you buy your free sorry you buy a couple bottles of rum you get your chasers free or you get you know a discount on on the bottle so it, it is a complete uh different market here than overseas hmm. do you do you see the the demand uh domestically in jamaica for for aged rum increasing or, or is that even like something that is a is an objective for worthy park do you think about it that way at all or or do you see it growing well we're, we're always trying to grow um, and I think there is an opportunity for us with our, I want to say, younger age rums. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it is also a function of economics, right? Like right. We, yeah. we are still a yeah. country. So, you know, what, you know, the, the cost of living is, is different. You know, the minimum wage is different here. So, whereas, you know, a bottle of rum in the States for, you know, for 40 bucks is, is almost a steal nowadays of age rum. Right. Uh, you know, a bottle of rum in Jamaica for the equivalent, you know, 40 bucks US is, is out of the price range of, of a lot of the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I do think there's, there is a, a growing appreciation for age rum in Jamaica, but uh, volume wise, I, I think it's definitely still uh, the white overproof and, and the younger age rums that, that's going to grow as a category. Yeah. And back to the the global market a little bit in terms of um, 
the competition in the Jamaican rum market. So uh, you mentioned a couple names earlier in the Jamaican rum market, and and, uh, there's a lot of outstanding competition there in those names. Um, So I think you answered this a tiny bit earlier in terms of how you distinguish yourself with some of the different things uh, at Worthy Park, but I wanted to also give you a chance to follow up a little bit more and ask you how you think Worthy Park really distinguishes itself among that excellent company. Yeah, it, and it is, and, and you know, we have a we have a lot of great rum coming out of the island, and um, I think the beauty of it is now people are starting to see that we're all Jamaican rum producers. We all have different objectives, and we all have different styles and 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 profiles in our rum, right? Which is which is really cool, and I think for us, the one of the biggest things that separates us from from all the other distillers is that we're truly a single estate um, producer. So we grow cane, produce some molasses. All of our fermentation, distillation, uh, aging, blending, and bottling, everything literally happens uh, within the, the confines of the Worthy Park Estate. And that is, is very unique in Rom, but also you know, very unique in, in, in Jamaica as well. And you know, we're 100% Jamaican-owned and operated, and uh, family-owned and operated, which is also mm-hmm. you know, unique. There, you know, Ham- there's a couple others. Hamden is, is Jamaican-owned and operated as well, mm-hmm. but you know, not everybody is. Uh, not all the producers are down here anymore. And you know, we're really proud of that. And, and I think those two things, you know, taste of rum aside, because that's all subjective, but those are two things that really, I think, separate us from from the other producers here. Yeah. Uh, Zen, you mentioned uh, looking for opportunities for Worthy Park to continue to grow. Um, we've seen the flagship release, the single estate reserve that's available uh, fairly worldwide, uh, to my knowledge. And other than that, we've only seen some really extremely limited aged releases and mainly in the UK, I think. Um, are there plans to expand the Worthy Park brand with more bottlings in the Worthy Park brand line uh, that will have broad distribution other than the single estate reserve? Yes, 100% yes. All so right. You, yeah, you will start to see some more coming out. Uh, I think, you know, our, our you talked about Richard, and you know, Richard's a great friend of ours and, and great mentor as well. And he, he pumps out releases like, like they're going out of style. Crazy, um, I know. Yeah, we have. We, I guess we have a more of a Jamaican soon come approach uh, to us. <laughs> we, you know, we take our time. I mean, hell, we've been here for 350 years, and, and for most of that, we never had our own brand. So you know, we're really trying. We, we do take our time. Um, you know, we're trying to put out releases when, when we're comfortable putting out. We're not trying to rush. Yeah. But we do have up to 15-year-old rums aging now, and, and I do think over the next couple of years, you'll start to see some more um, – not only vintage, but, but age releases that become a permanent part of our portfolio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will let you know, and I think you might've heard already, but we've, we've started bringing in you know, port casts and Madeira yeah. casts, Pontiac and Calvados. So you're going to start to see some of those releases hitting Ooh, the market. And cool. you know, we only launched in the U S uh, in officially in 2018. And, you know, the U S the liquor market in the States, uh, it just takes a little, little longer to, to get it, you know, from top down. Yeah, um, we don't make it easy. Pretty much any country in Europe, I can the same importer can sell it directly to consumers, but with the three tier system in the states, it just just takes a little longer. And yeah. again, you know, there's so few distribution houses in each state that yeah, you know, it just takes time. Yeah, um, but we are getting it. Yeah, we're we're patiently waiting. All right, our, our partner uh, in the states, Backbar Project. Yeah, they've done a f- phenomenal job with us, and I know they're excited about getting some more re- new releases in the portfolio as well. But they, they they're really picky in a good way with with their distributors, and, and they have high expectations. So I'm confident that you're going to start to see some more 
increased availability of Worthy Park throughout the states. Excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that. I know um, I have the the single estate reserve bottling. Um, I think I think there are two different age ranges of that. Am I remembering correctly? No, the single estate reserve is pretty much between six to ten years old. Okay. Um, we don't make an age statement on that, but we do go for that specific profile. And then we have the 2006, which is the vintage release. Okay, that may be what I'm remembering. Uh, that one is a little is a little harder to get in the states, just because of the price point and rum in the states is still still fighting a lot of uh, a lot we're, of negative uh, perception. Yeah. So. We're doing what we can here, <laughs> <laughs> bottle by bottle, man. But yeah. I, I think I told John earlier, Florida uh, breakthrough distributor, Florida was getting ready at the start of the year to bring bring in the 2006, but uh, COVID happened, so everything yeah. got kind of put on hold. Yeah. Well, one one thing that's interesting to me is that even though Worthy Park as an estate, like like we mentioned earlier, has been around for centuries, it has all this history. It's not like you're saying, you know, oh, we're making the same rum here that was made, you know, back in the 1700s. Like you're incorporating some traditional approaches to rum making, like 100% double retort pot still distillation, um, but also trying a lot of new things, cultivating your own style. And I was reading an interview you did uh, on rum revelations.com actually uh, you mentioned kind of you know you guys are constantly trying different techniques for fermentation distillation aging and i was wondering if there's anything you can share on that front anything new that you've seen lately or uh or that, that you know you thought was interesting or, or exciting i think probably just talking about from the since the start of the year the biggest the most cool thing i guess for me is that we we started doing some cane juice fermentation oh wow yeah, which is nice. which was a first for us. Um, so yeah, we, we tried that this year. I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> so we'll see what, we'll see what we do with it. But yeah, we started doing that. Um, I kind of alluded to earlier when we were talking about the marks. We really we spent a lot of time trying to get much lower um, ester counts. Uh, so we're able to produce rum that of a lower ester count. So we're just increasing the the marks and. Again, seems very counterintuitive to mm. yeah, the geeky rum side, but again, we're we only have one still, so we need as much we need to create as much blend flexibility as possible. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. and we do that by having a, as as wide a variety of marks as possible. Yeah, um, from still. And I've seen some really amazing online reviews of some of those lighter ester marks uh, from rum enthusiasts. So I think there's support for it for sure. I definitely am. One of the things I started doing last year um, towards the end of the year was trainings and masterclasses I did in Europe at some of these events. I, I brought you know, a variety of our unaged marks and kind of walked through what the unaged marks tasted like, kind of fresh off the still or, or, or mm. diluted a little bit, and then how they progressed as they were aged. And it's really, I think it was really interesting for people to, to have that experience. Because yeah. again, it, it kind of changes your notion of, of what, a quote-unquote light pot still rum is versus what your perception of it is and um also you know you, you get to understand maybe i don't necessarily need to go as high as i as i, as I want um <laughs> because i want to drink it i want to enjoy it i don't you know there, there is an interesting part of it but you know from my point like i, I want you to buy more than one bottle in a year but i, I fear if you if you get the really funky high ester super high ester stuff it's something you'll, you'll you'll try and you'll you'll share with your friends but you're not making cocktails with it right you might not be slamming back yeah. you know daiquiris at the super high ester counts yeah. although I, I feel like i see more and more people sharing that online it's yeah. true it's true it's true there are but we're still there's still a, a huge mass market that we're trying to tap into yeah as well. 
yeah. Um, and, and also, we, we kind of like let the you you mentioned cane juice fermentation that just kind of like went right by. And I, I, I that's that's so cool. I want to go back to that for a second. So, if, if you can't share all the details, feel free to let us know. But are those one hundred percent cane juice fermentations, or is it you know the addition of cane juice to to you know uh, molasses and the fermentation and everything? Because I know when um actually you know we keep bringing up Richard Seal. I don't mean to do that, but when he we had him on the podcast, he was telling us that for square they were adding in some cane juice and stuff and how you know historically a lot of estates when they were making their rum you know they threw in all, all of the cane byproducts that they were making were going into that so you would have molasses cane juice you know all this stuff going into the fermentation it wasn't just like we make a cane juice rum or we make a molasses based rum yeah we um what we did is we we did some that was majority mola- uh, cane juice mm-hmm. with a little bit of molasses just to help you know increase the bricks level and then we've done some that is strictly cane juice. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there, there is a lot of history and there's a lot of stuff that's getting, um, I guess, unearthed uh, out there in the market. But it's hard for us to, to, and I don't even think we would be able to do it even if we wanted to, to replicate the rum that was produced, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Like, everything's different. You know, the quality of, of the, the cane juice and molasses is different that we're using. Right. Every, everything is different so yeah you know we i i am a history buff and i love history and, and i respect you know the history that we do but i think it's just very hard for us to to replicate it so i think you you know just like everything in life like you honor the history but you know things change and, and you have to you have to evolve a little bit but there's certain things that you can you carry through and you stick with as your heritage but to try to duplicate it and replicate it is almost impossible for sure yeah i think the the sugar refining process uh has, has changed a little bit since uh since the 16 and 1700s yeah yeah um, so what do you think that people get or maybe maybe you'll say nothing but i'm curious if uh is there anything you think people get wrong often when they talk about jamaican rum specifically or are there any common misconceptions that, that you see a lot that you'd like to see less of i think i think the rum overall you know you, you fight those those common misconceptions like you know the the rum is sweet and yeah because right and, you know those those are those are the base ones and and i think we're still every producer is fighting that well i won't say every producer but there's a lot of <laughs> uh you know the i think that the perception that only aged rum is good rum is yeah. one that um hurts my soul as a as a producer that does a ton of unaged rum and you know to i think people's perception that you know, unaged rum is is not palatable. I think is one that you know we're fighting as well, and we're trying to show people that you know the way we ferment and, and distill and blend. You know, you can drink our unaged rum and and have a very good very good experience, and it's not this hot fiery burn down your throat. So right. mm-hmm. I think those are, are two. I think are the biggest ones. Again, you you know you've got the usual suspects. You know the the, the fake age statements. You know, obviously additives and, and stuff like that, but you know, trying to say something a little different. I think, you know, the perception of unaged rum is one that's that's important to me. And, and I, I enjoy kind of not correcting people, but showing them a different side to rum when, you know, when you get approached and say, well, what's your, what's your oldest rum? What's your best rum? And I was like, well, <laughs> best don't, aren't always um, equitable. They're not, they're not always the same. So yeah, but let's walk you through the range and walk you through why, you know, how all the rums are different. And at the end of it, you, you may still love, older age runs and that's cool but i just want you to know that and to experience that there's a different side of of, of the category that is often kind of downplayed or 
are shunned as, as not a quality room. Yeah. Zan, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of people like that in South Florida. So anytime you're ready uh, to head over here and do that demonstration. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking, of course. But I, I well, no, you're there not. are no, some you're people not. in South Florida. Yeah, uh, there are plenty of people in South Florida who don't uh, know that. But uh, for in serious, in all seriousness, we would love to get you here sometime to do that. It sounded really cool when you talked about the different Esther marks and, and doing that and then leading people through exactly what you just said as well. So that would be awesome. Yeah, I would love to. Um, and South, you know, Florida is a crazy market, dude. You know, South Florida is a place that I would love to spend some more time in. I was up there earlier on uh, this year and, and kind of the end of that trip coincided with the start of, of COVID. So it's been, um, yeah. I, I need a redo for, for, for Florida. Agreed. I think most people need a redo for Florida after they visit it. <laughs> we need a redo 2020 at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Take, a, take a mulligan on this whole, whole year. Serious. Uh, awesome. Zan, uh, well, this is great. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, one thing, uh, a tradition over here on the Rumcast, uh, we always end each episode with a rapid-fire question segment that uh john runs so if you it's optional but if you're game for it i will turn it over to john to tell you about how that works now oh bring it on bring it on <laughs> i had a feeling that you would be game yeah zan is gonna kill this i already know it so you can see me now i look like i'm on family feud right now i got my head down <laughs> <laughs> you got like one hand behind the back the other one ready right. to hit the buzzer yeah um okay so we got one minute on the clock will's gonna put that one minute for us we're gonna go through these as quickly and as short answers as possible obviously some of these are uh, a bit more serious and some are a bit silly and everything in between so uh whenever you're ready and will will give us the time all right let's go all right do it neat or on the rocks on the rocks column pot or blend Oh, come on, dude. Pot. All right. All right. This is like choosing between your kids, but if you can only have one, is it rum bar gold or rum bar silver? Ooh, rum bar gold. All right. Favorite rum mixed drink? Uh, rum and ting. Oh, Nintendo, Xbox, or PlayStation? Dude, I'm old school, man. Nintendo. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's right. That's right. Favorite person to share a bottle of rum with? Uh, who, who, who's ever beside me? <laughs> is there anyone out there who, in your mind, is totally not worthy of drinking Worthy Park? <laughs> Pass. <laughs> a wise decision. Other than Jamaica, what country makes the best rum in the world? Um, man, I, I have to default to Barbados because I drink a lot of Barbados rum. All right. Amy Poehler calls you and asks you if you would be down for a collaboration called Worthy Parks and Recreation. Are you in or out? Fuck yeah, I'm in, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your most underrated place to kick back with a glass of rum in Jamaica? Oh, my backyard. That's time. <laughs> All right. That was good. Excellent. Killed it, Zan. Thanks. I love those, man. They're so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing it, man. And thanks for uh, being on. And uh, we really appreciate having you. Yeah. And before we go, any any closing statements, anything we didn't get to that you want to make sure the people hear? No, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate it. And, and I think right now, I think there's so much good uh rum out there and i think that it's just a matter of you know we really need to help and, and from the producer standpoint we really need to help educate on on how we're all making rum and what the yeah. differences are because you know it, it's an intimidating category to look at uh to get into and it's so muddled and everything looks seemingly the same so thank you to you guys for you know putting out podcasts like this that you know talk to producers and, and talk to people that are making rum so we can help educate you know that's what that's what it ultimately comes down to and Drink more Jamaican rum. 
All right. Awesome. Well, Zan, thanks again. I know you're, you're doing stuff like this constantly these days. And uh, as we discussed earlier, it can, it, you know, it adds up. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming out and, uh, and chatting run with us. Thanks a lot. Listen, dude, we, I appreciate, I appreciate the platform. So it's no, uh, no, no sweat off my back. Thank you so much. Will. Thank you, John. Okay, everybody. So that was Zan Kong and our interview with him. Um, We really enjoyed talking. Thank you, Zan, again. Um, We just want to make sure to remind everybody who's listening that you can still uh, follow us on our social media accounts at Instagram. It's the Rumcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, Also, make sure to leave us a a, a like or, or tell us what you think of the show. Don't be shy, people. One of the things we do this for is to really interact with the community. And if you like what we're doing and you like what we're about, um, let us know. If you think there's something that you would like to hear more of, let us know that too. Yeah, as John said, you can reach out to us on social media where we're around there. You can also email us directly, host at rumcast.com, H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. And as always, we would love to hear your thoughts via review. You can review us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate those. They're a huge help. They help other people find the podcast. So if you enjoy it and you got a spare 30 seconds, we'd really appreciate that. It goes a long way. But uh, yeah, I think for now, John, that's it for this week. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks again to Zan Kong for coming on for the interview. Yeah, if any if anything comes to mind, uh, if you, if you wake up at two in the morning, you're like, ah, oh, I really shouldn't have said that thing. Uh, just <laughs> send us. I meant PlayStation. I meant PlayStation, <laughs> yeah. not Nintendo. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, just well, feel free. Feel free to reach out. All right, cool, man.